If you and your teachers will invest the hours necessary once or twice a year into really reflecting on their student's journey and then prescribing a path forward and imagining them a year from now, that is an entirely different depth of relationship. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Seven Figure Music School. Today, we're answering a question that came in from a listener slash viewer, and it reminded me of something that happened many, many years ago. When I uh, started Grow Your Music Studio back in 2015, I had this desire to share what I'd learned in the world of marketing, a music studio. Um, I had done some things that at the time were somewhat unconventional for a small studio, and I just wanted to share that, and I was excited to share it. And as I went about sharing my story, I just casually mentioned that I had a group lesson studio. And the comments that I got on the blog and on my videos went almost immediately from asking about marketing to, oh, tell me about this group lesson thing. I just made it as kind of an offhand comment. And teachers being teachers, they didn't really care about the marketing, they, but they were extremely fascinated with this educational model that I came up with. Mm. Well, something similar happened in an episode here in the last month or two, is that Nate casually mentioned something that they do at BMF, something that is very helpful for the students there. And we got a number of comments and emails and questions about this particular aspect of BMF's operating procedure. And that is BMF's musician's journey reports. Now that's somewhat esoteric. I don't know if just hearing that, hearing that it evokes something, but Nate, I'd love for you to start the episode out just by telling me what is the musician's journey report, because you, you kind of hinted at what it was in that previous episode, but you didn't speak about it in its fullness. So maybe give us the rundown of what this is and why it's so important to BMF. Yeah, totally. In its simplest form, you can think of it as like um, a report card for your student. However, it's a unique report card and we do it seasonally. We do it in our fall season. We do it in our spring season. Um, we're literally doing it right now. It's May when we're recording this. I'm going to be finishing writing like four or five of them for my students. And what makes them unique, Daniel, is that it's a look back. You're looking at what you've already accomplished as a student and then it's a look forward. This is why we call it the journey, because at BMF, we're constantly speaking about this seven to 10 year journey that we want our families to go through as a member of our community. And so the musician's journey reports are just like, they're sort of like these uh, signposts along the way. We write them every season for our students. What's so powerful about them is that it gives the parents um, a clear view on how invested we are into their kids' success. So it's like a report card, but on steroids. Okay. Now, I get nervous when I hear the word report card 
Yeah, and perhaps <laughs> other other uh, uh, perhaps other school owners would feel the same way. Uh, is this something? Uh, well, I just know, so I'm not even going to pretend. I'm not even going to play dumb here. This has to be a positive experience for both the school, the student, the parent, the teacher who's issuing them. Um, the word report card kind of has that negative connotation to it. I realize you're using that in, in sort of symbolic language, but what makes this a positive experience for students getting one of these reports or the parents getting one of these reports? Yeah, first of all, um, it mirrors the experience in the studio already. We talked about the games we're playing, i.e. because since BMF is a game-based kind of music theory ear training program that leads to songwriting, we start with like, what games have we been playing that you've been totally rocking? You know, then we move to sort of technique. What have we, what have, what have we leveled up on our body? You know, and as, as pianists, like I have a little, I have a student named Miles right now, it's just on fire. And he leveled up from two note chords to three note chords this year. So he, a triad is actually a triad. You know, so so what makes it positive is, and this is one of the, you know, and we can get it, we'll get into this eventually, exactly how you pull this off consistently, because as you talk about all the time, Daniel, like an idea is only as good as how consistent we can, consistently we can implement it, right? So one of the things that makes it so positive is I actually sit down with my students and interview them as to compose the front half of it. What have we rocked? with our body technique? What have we rocked with songwriting? What have we rocked in terms of fluency games, rhythm, harmony, melody? What levels have we passed? And it gets them actually reporting on themselves. Um, actually, Daniel, it reminds me of a really cool, I probably got it from here, but I remember my daughter Josie in middle school, um, this was the first time I saw this happen where the student led the parent-teacher conference. I don't know if you've had that yourself, if you experienced it, but it kind of blew my mind because the student actually led the reporting on themselves. So I sat yeah. down and there was Josie, my daughter, talking about all that she had accomplished in sixth grade and what she hoped to accomplish as she moved into the spring semester. And I was like, this is so much better than the report card of my youth. <laughs> well, what it does is is puts the the learner in a position of taking individual responsibility for their progress. And it's a forcing function for self-reflection. And that's so important for a learner. Let me ask you a question. Why did you start doing these? Why did Brooklyn Music Factory even do this? Did you do this from day one or was this something that uh, evolved later? We totally didn't do this from day one. What we have done from day one is the idea of like a, a weekly lesson. We used to call it home rock. We'd send home home rock every week. It's sort of Instead like sort of homework. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So we used it for years. We called it home rock. And, um, and basically that was just like anybody's sort of like uh, practice notes you'd send home with your student. So we did that for a long time. And then at some point we realized we kept talking about this journey that we wanted all of our students to go on. Yet we never actually um, shared a kind of a 10,000 foot view on the student. It was always like, what are they doing this week? What do they need to do the next week? What do they need to do next week? Okay, good. There's a gig. What do you got to do for the gig? Right. But it never put it in the context of like a, a, a an arc to the mm -hmm. growth of a student. And so I think we started with the musician's journey reports maybe five-ish years ago. Um, and so why did we do it? Simply because as teachers, we were actually losing sight of the arc, 
We were like, we were mm. constantly in the moment, which can be really powerful as an educator to stay right where you are with your student. But you also need to give the parents and yourself as an educator a view on where your student is going to be in a year, where your okay. student is going to be in three years. And truthfully, Daniel, um, this was really beneficial for me as a founder, as an opportunity to educate my, the teachers on how to actually begin to envision their student in a year to three years, because I, it is actually doesn't come naturally for a lot of people. A lot of people don't work in the space of where will my seven-year-old be when she's 10? I, I, I so resonate with this because I think the first five years of my teaching, every new teacher goes through this. You don't have any advanced students at first, unless you're lucky enough to get yes. one. But even if you do, actually, one of the first students I ever got was an advanced student where the family contacted me about two weeks after I started teaching piano at, right out of college. Right. It was a uh, 16, 17-year-old girl. And they were their previous teacher had done something really um, distasteful to that family. So they'd unenrolled her. And they just happened to see my quote-unquote ad around the same time. And here's my point. Maybe that was a little too much detail. Even though I was working with an advanced student, I didn't see the journey she had gone on. Yes. So it's so difficult for a, for a newer teacher to kind of envision how does a student get from A to B with B, you know, how, how do you get them out of the method? Yeah. And I think for a lot of teachers, it takes at least five years to even begin to wrap their head around and be, if they're self-reflective, like, oh, the problem that's showing up on all my students in level four is because of how I'm teaching this concept in level two. You can't even get yes. that perspective on yourself. And so these musicians journey reports, it sounds like helps your teachers. It's a, it's a development tool for the teachers as well as a uh, internal marketing piece to parents and a progress report. So this is so much, my next question was going to be, how is this different than just keeping a notebook with their assignments on it? But I can already begin to see how it is different. Maybe you have yeah. more to add to that. Well, just your self-reflection comment before. You were talking about, you know, in the case of my daughter, Josie, being the learner who had to take the time to self-reflect and then report in her parent-teacher conference. Well, it's exactly what you just said for our teachers, too. So if you're a, if you're a, a school owner or a director listening to this episode and thinking, man, how can I level up training with my teachers this is a wonderful opportunity to put it in a super positive light and also stay student focused, right? Sometimes we, just as a sidebar, um, sometimes we think, um, well, you and I hear this all the time, that founders are really worried about um, putting too much pressure on the teachers to do it a certain way because they don't want to squash their creativity or their inherent um, personality strengths, et cetera. And so as a result, you know, people will shy away a little bit from the from the training piece, right? Well, here's an opportunity to be like, hey, let's focus entirely on your students and let's reflect on the skills we need to build to begin to see them in two to three to four years. And precisely, you just get a great example, Daniel. Like, what are we doing right now? And how will that manifest in a year or two years? Like I talked about my little, my student, Miles, who's Dude, I think he's six. Um, he moved from two finger, you know, two note chords playing C and G for a C, C chord to C E G. So now he's playing a full triad. And he did that over the course of six months. Amazing. Okay. Ask yourself as an educator, 
how you move that student from two to three notes, and then what's the next opportunity? So the next opportunity in that case is to begin to introduce inversions, right? And then the opportunity after that is to begin to introduce voice leading. The opportunity after that is to begin to introduce expanded chords, open voicings versus close, right? So now I'm two years down the path, but right. I know that it takes six months to 12 months to get through the next stage and the stage after that. Well, let me ask a question about that because uh, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, but totally. I'm not even really because I, I'm just actually wanting to understand better. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't a method book cover that? Doesn't the method book lay the journey out in front of it, out of the, in front of the student? Yes, it's a great question. Well, every method book comes with a guide for teachers, right? Every good right. method book. However, do your teachers actually invest the time into that guide? Do okay. your teachers even understand the method book? They may, okay. they may not. They, um, and, and, and this self-reflection piece is where you get into the nuance of each unique student and the pace at which they're going to move, right? You said something really awesome when you talked about your group piano class and and your specific approach, which was you say, let each student move at their pace, but you're consistently checking in on them and giving them the next target, Mm -hmm. right? So Um, The Musician's Journey reports are an opportunity for us as teachers to say, okay, well, Miles is going to move at this pace. Brooklyn Music Factory has a method. It's just just because we're not using a method book, we still have 12 seasons of a songwriting journey, and there's all sorts of level ups that go with each season, right? So I'm sitting there and thinking about one student and going, well, what what season are they going to be in? Are they actually going to just move up one level? Are they going to actually leapfrog two levels in their songwriting season? Are they going to move... Uh, um, and so, yes, a method book has a guide, right? But the musician's journey reports are the opportunity for BMF's teachers to all ask themselves, at what pace are my students going to move through our method? Okay. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Do you as the owner or does a department head in your school go and look at the individual musician's journey point uh, reports that let's say your piano department head does, do they go and look at the various reports that are being sent out by the teachers underneath them? Great question. So I might ping that. I might put that into two categories and tell us what, tell you what we've tried, which we've dropped because it was too much Interesting. work. versus what we do consistently. We just had our all-staff meeting last Friday, and we're deep into Musician's Journey report writing, like I said. Everybody's doing it. Um, They're due right now. We started it with a songwriting... uh, We started it, rather, with a um, report writing party where everyone would gather on a Zoom, and you could just sit there and write together. It was just like a little writing club. Um, 
at any rate, in our all staff, everybody brought a musician's journey report that they wanted to share that they had written. Hmm. So it was a group share and we would ask why. And it's really powerful. So for example, um, you know, we had, um, you know, we had a, a voice teacher who shared a report about lyrics that her uh, um, highlighting how passionate her student was about the lyric writing portion of our songwriting program because the topic was so personal to this student. And a year ago, this student said, quote, I don't like songwriting. I don't want to talk about it. And so she's talked about the journey over the last 12 months of how now this student gets to the point where she's so excited to share her original lyrics on the gig in a couple of weeks. So um, do we share one reports with one another? Hell yeah, we do. Because frankly, it motivates one another to write more powerful reports. In addition, as part of training, we just make available past reports as templates. And we have mm -hmm. a very clear template. When we get into exactly how we pull it off, which we can talk about in a moment, um, you know, we give examples of really successful reports from previous years. That's great. That's great. You, know, I, you actually answered a question I was going to ask, but I want to acknowledge it just so we all have a sense of closure on it. But um, I was going to ask, how does this become something more than just busy work, i.e. someone could hear this and think, okay, I, I see all the different problems this can solve. It's a training tool. It's um, an encouragement tool for students. It's a marketing tool for parents. It's, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's also accountability to the parents. Uh, it's a way for an owner or department head to keep track of what's going on in their department. It, it standardizes the quality of education in the school. Um, so it could, if done correctly, it could fulfill a lot of roles in the school and solve a lot of problems. But someone hearing this could be like, okay, so I want to do this, I guess. So do I just whip up a Google doc and decide a couple random categories to follow? Or, you know, so in other words, kind of following the form of it, but if they don't understand the deeper aspect of it, they're not going to, to do it in a way that would be meaningful as it has been for BMS. So what's one of those, what's, I don't know, Nate, if you don't like the question, let's just maybe rephrase it. But what is the deeper thing going on underneath that makes this work? Or perhaps you, you feel like you've already communicated that and you want to move on? What, what, do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, if I were to frame the question, what I hear is, as a founder, I'm nervous about asking my teachers to do even more because it's already so hard to just do, have them do what I'm asking them to do. Interesting. Okay. And then the second thing I hear that you're asking is like, well, okay, if you are going to take the leap and try to add an additional piece of work for your teachers, how do mm -hmm. you tie it to something that's going to have lasting effect and impact on your program? Because right. truthfully, dude, it's like if it's just another marketing tactic, if it's just another way to get parents to re-enroll, mm -hmm. it's probably going to end up being like a chore. Yeah. Season. You know what I mean? Okay, Daniel, let's start right now just with how do you actually get teacher investment? Well, with mm -hmm. anything at your school, it's always going to start from the top. You have to see investment from me as a founder 
uh, our teachers have to see investment from Ben, our private lesson director, and our other department directors, right? So the first thing you do is you yourself sit down and attempt this with your own students, if you're listening. You're a founder and you're like, well, I've got 20 students. I'm going to sit down and try to write a, journey, a musician's journey report about my own students. And then I would just say, as a visual aid, I think we're going to make available a blank musician's journey report from Brooklyn Music Factory. I'm, I'm sure you're fine with that, right, Nate? Yeah, totally fine. So you, you can follow along with this. If you're listening to this, you just need to navigate over to our blog, and it'll be a download available on this yeah. episode. And so to be clear, the BMF musician's journey report template clearly reflects our purpose and our method. There's four categories, technique, passion, music theory, which we call ear training and the theory piece, and community. Because that's those are all part of our 45, like a 45-minute lesson plan includes those four things. And you might be like, passion, what's that? Well, you can take a look or reach out to us and we can talk in more detail about what I mean and what we mean by passion. But we basically have two sections. We have what have you been rocking so far? And then what will we, what's our vision for the future? That's it. And then at the bottom, it says, here's what we think are the next best steps for the student. So it's the springtime. So I'm literally re-enrolling all of my students. I'm suggesting a longer lesson for the ones that have a 30-minute lesson for the, where it's appropriate. For many of my students, I'm saying, okay, continue in this band or it's time for you to move up to this other band, right? So that's the actual template. Now, so to get investment from teachers, you yourself have to first invest your own time and creativity and intellect into it. And then you need to make time to share what you've discovered in the process of starting to write them yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So we have... Um, a month ago, so before we're even going to begin writing the reports, at our previous all staff, we and we also have a Slack channel that's just called Musician Journey Reports. We had three longtime veteran teachers share one example of a report and why it was so powerful for them to reread. And they shared hmm. a report from like three years ago with a student they still have. They talked about that student three years ago. And then they talked about what the student's doing now. And they just shared off top of mind why it was powerful for them, what they actually succeeded in um, predicting, and where they were off in their predictions, right? But it starts from those that are really invested in the process, sharing why it's valuable to them. It's, dude, it's, we've talked about this so many times. Um, you know, people will ask questions like, well, should I pay them? Of course you should pay them to write these reports. If it's valuable to you in the mission of the school and you believe it's going to have a long-term impact, like you were just talking about, Daniel, it threads together so many things. Then, yeah, you invest resources into it. Like yeah. if you're even asking the question, should you pay for it? You're probably not even sure if you want to invest your own time in it yet. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's like, yeah, so that's the how you begin the process. Of course, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than a GDoc template. Yeah. And of course, it starts with you. Yeah. You know, what, what strikes me is that this is, um, I think, another classic example of uh, 
I, I don't want to be just the idea of um, the blind man describing the elephant. Like mm. you have different people, perhaps they don't have their sight and they're feeling different parts of the elephant. I, I think we've all heard this analogy and one feels the trunk, one feels the tusk, one feels the leg. So they have a different experience and you're beginning to get, but if you, if you collate all those experiences from those people, you get a, uh, a more accurate representation. I think that's what's happening here. You know, we're 30 something episodes into this and we're just now talking about a really central core practice that Brooklyn Music Factory uses to make sure that you're delivering on your promise. Yes. To make sure that you're delivering great lessons. And this is undoubtedly the reason why BMF grew to the size that it has. Um, we haven't even talked about it yet. And so just something I want to put out there is that, you know, I think these podcasts are helpful and the feedback that we've gotten, they're helpful in stimulating imagination. But the, the depth to which we could go in talking about this is somewhat similar to my group lesson model in that I've put out a lot of material describing what it did, how I did it, the general structure, that sort of thing. But for people to really go deep into it, it would take me 15, 20, 25 hours to explain it so that it would be, so that someone else could do it in a quality way, which is why we have a training on how to do that multi-level group system. Similarly with this, I think this is just another area where we could really, really go deep on this. And if there is a desire you know, if you're listening or watching this right now and there is a desire to go deeper on this, just reach out to us. There's uh, contact information wherever you're watching this. And, um, you know, we're happy to talk about implementing a system like this um, in your school. Or, you know, if you're listening and have more of a casual or passing interest in it, simply uh, drop an email to us and maybe have, you have a question for us. And there's an aspect of this that we could go deeper on. So uh, whether you're intensely interested in implementing something like this or it's more of a casual passing interest, uh, definitely reach out. Nate, where do you think we should go next with this? Or do you think we're coming to a close here? I, I think we can probably close on it because the concept is fairly straightforward. The implementation is a more nuanced, obviously. Growing mm-hmm. it with a growing program is more takes more effort and a lot of, a lot of trial and error. Um, but I wanted to close with a question we got um, from a listener on this specific topic, which was, well, what's the long-term return on investment? Mm. Well, let's say I were to actually do it, where can I expect to be in three years? And it reminds me of a comment you made, no idea which episode, apologies, but you said like um, retention is in the relationships, mm. right? And so that's sort of like on the on the surface, you're like, well, that's easy. Of course, the, the families that I have a good relationship with generally like me and stay with me, right? Yeah. This is deepening the relationship. This is what we mean when we talk about retention is in the relationship. If you and your teachers will invest the hours necessary once or twice a year into really reflecting on their student's journey and then prescribing a path forward and imagining them a year from now, that is an entirely different depth of relationship because I'm doing it. I mean, I've had a student, I had this 11 year old, just total badass. He's playing blues. He's soloing. He's still doing all these amazing things. And I've had him for years 
And to be able to sit and reflect on him again for like the seventh time in the Musician's Journey Report um, is so powerful for me. Because mm-hmm. I go back and read like three, four years ago, the report that I wrote. I, wrote, I read the report from 2019. And I'm like, fascinating that I wrote that. And then I think, where am I today? And how has his interests shifted? And where are we going tomorrow? And where are we going to be in a year from now? And then I actually, here's a little hack, but I actually record a video of me walking through the report. And then mm. I share that video with the parent. They get both wow. the, the, you know, the email report and a little video of me walking through it and explaining the why behind what we put there. Mm. Um, so the long-term return on investment, if you're an owner listening to this is, yes, it's going to take a lot of effort at the outset for you personally to do them. And then for you to onboard your teachers, you can expect like about a six, a 12 month journey on this to try to really get investment Mm -hmm. and a template that you really love that feels like your mission and purpose, et cetera. Yes. But the long-term return is that you're speaking about these humans that you're in service to in a very different way. Yeah. It's no longer just, did I move through the pages of the method book? It's you're really getting the, you're really beginning to understand this person and the why behind the pace at which they move, where their challenges are, where they move effortlessly, you know, and then you're also getting to know that you're really thinking about the layers of this student. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's the long-term investment. Of course, your retention improves. Of course, your bottom line improves. Of course, your referrals go up. I mean, if you, if that is obviously going to happen because the more I invest in you, the more you're willing to share how good I am. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I have to say that there's one, other, there's one other angle on this because I think you've hit a couple angles there. I think for the more, we all have different personality types, but for the school owner, that's the more analytical type, the more... Um, mathematically oriented. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think a helpful perspective on this is that, uh, and I can't remember who said it, but it's one of those legendary business authors, uh, you know, uh, what gets measured gets changed or or I'm paraphrasing, but this is at the end of the day, this is an assessment tool and it does an awful lot for BMF from what I understand. And I, I clearly understand it more than I did a half hour ago. Yeah. Um, but at, at the core, this is a way to mark time. It's a way to look at, you know, where the student has been, where they're going to that kind of assessment. Even you do it on a, on a uh, twice a year, correct? If, if everything's working well, twice yeah. a year. Uh, you know, six months goes by really quick. Yeah, yeah. So this is a way to to, to bring context, even to this eight year old. Um, it, it's a ritual. It's something that that you can look forward to. That sort of thing. And you know, from an analytical perspective, what's really happening here is there's an assessment. There's taking time out to look at where we've been, where we're going to. Oh, yeah, this is this is huge. And, you know, I did it in a different way in my school mm-hmm. uh, because obviously my school was way different than yours, mm-hmm. um, both in structure, size, management, style, um, goal, you know, what we did, programs that we did. You would never dream of having recital. I had two a year, like those sorts yeah, of things. But, totally. but, but 
and I think this is what's really important, is that, yes, you can begin by looking at what BMF does as a really good model, because obviously BMF is an incredibly successful school. Um, but like Nate said, like five minutes ago, you can look at the model, but how it actually plays out in your school has more to do with your vision, your values, what's important to you. That's what your reports will look like and how often you do them and and the, the process and ritual around it. And that really comes down once again to that all important, um, that all important idea of you being incredibly clear on your goals, your mission, your vision, your values. And uh, that's, you know, a place that uh, just over the years I've seen, it's a rare school owner that really understands the process of, of teasing those things out. And it's often good to do that in community. It's often good to have a, a community of teachers around you um, to kind of help you tease those things out. And then the downstream effects of that is that a tool like this suddenly becomes much more meaningful. Yes, precisely, dude. And it, meaningful is the key word. We as school owners do not need busy work. Like you said, we don't need more work. We just need more meaning. <laughs> right. Right. That's yeah. what, that's what we, that's, we got into it for that. That needs to define every week of our life on the job site. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.